don't allow us to just survive and endure, but that you make us more than conquerors because of Jesus. What an incredible thought. God, thank you that you are here just now, that you're in our presence, and that you're loving us even as we stand today. God, we ask that you would... um, you, that you would clear out our ears, that you'd take the junk off of our eyes, and that we would hear you just now, that we would experience what you have for us. God, we ask that you would connect the dots, that you'd make the application that as we study your word, that it wouldn't just be academic, but it would permeate our hearts, God, that it would move us to action that it would be your arms around us just now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. We are so glad that you're here. If it's your first time, a special welcome to you. the welcome books are going to go around, if, if you would, whether you've been here one time or 1,500 times, if you'd fill that out. And uh, on a weekly basis, we do that if you can uh, make any kind of adjustments. If you get a new phone number, new email, write that down and, and we'll do that as well. It gives us a chance to just kind of have a sense of what God's doing and, uh, and um, hopefully know when you're away so that we can call and say hey or uh, notice and that's a cool thing. After the welcome books go by, then we'll do the offering that's the general fund offering, the regular offering and uh, give joyfully to that as well. It's a cool thing. Um, Chris mentioned the, the timeline that's out in back 175 years the church has been around and that's it's it's just such a cool thing. Um, at first service this morning, Margaret Moots was here. Margaret has been a part of the church since 1934. So the church is 175 years old. Margaret's been uh, here almost half that time. 175 years. That's that's incredible. Really neat thing. She's she's here faithfully, and it was just fun to see her wave her cane this morning and say, hey, uh, cool thing. Uh, We all have turning points in our lives, right? Places that you can look back in your life story and say, man, that was a significant moment. Sometimes those are big things. You know, uh, the the day that you got married, Uh, you know, maybe the day that you moved uh, from California to Michigan or the day that that um, you moved out of the house or went to college. Sometimes there are big things that we can point to that are turning points. But sometimes there are little moments as well that when you look back in time, you say, you, you know, that that one conversation that that one thought. God used that, and it really changed the course of my life. There are um, a couple of moments, a couple of those turning points, really kind of little tiny things, one bigger than than the other. Um, In the life of my wife, Deb, that I want to share with you, uh, I tell lots of me stories, but uh, it's kind of fun to tell Deb's story. we, Deb and I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, on opposite sides of the city. I grew up in the northwest suburbs. She grew up in the southeast suburbs. Um, we both thought each other's 
um, areas were trashy parts of town. Um, I was right. No, no, not, not really. <laughs> if you could see her face, she said, no, sir. Anyway, let me tell uh, two, two points in the, in the whole turning point thing. Um, Deb's, Deb's dad had a heart attack and died when she was 14. And, um, and so through her, her teen years, her high school years, um, there, there was that vacuum. And there was a guy in her church who was an elder there, a, a guy named Wilbur, that, um, that really just kind of stepped in. And, and filled the role of dad for her in some, some really cool ways. Um, Wilbur ultimately became a, a friend of mine, too, a neat thing. But when Deb was in high school, Wilbur had a conversation with her. It was the kind of conversation that you might have with kids anytime. But Wilbur said, Deb, have you ever thought about going to Cincinnati Bible College? And Deb said, no, I'm going to go to Ohio State. I want to be a physical therapist. And he said, you know... I think it'd be a really good thing for you to think about taking that step and going to Bible college. And because of the role that Wilbur had in Deb's life, Deb said, okay, I'll go try it for a year. I'll go for a year and, and then go to Ohio State um, and, and pursue really what life is going to look like. That conversation with Wilbur was a turning point. We, we both entered Cincinnati Bible College at, this, at the, the same year, Cincinnati Christian University it's called now. Um, we didn't really know each other. We kind of knew each other. It, it's not a great big place. We knew each other, but we weren't friends or anything. And, um, and when I went to college, I was, uh, I was a singer. I uh, sang in groups that traveled back in those days. Colleges, uh, Christian colleges especially, had teams that would go and go to churches, and we would do a concert on, we would do a thing with the youth group on Friday night and do a concert on Sunday night and um, preach or teach on Sunday morning. It was a cool kind of thing. I did that a ton, traveled during the summers. And my sophomore year, I auditioned for a group that was a male quartet. And um, this particular male quartet was, was, was real good. I got in the group. Um, we had a chance that year to sing all over the, the Midwest. It was a, it was a really neat uh, thing. But the year before I was in this male quartet, the accompanist of the male quartet dated all four guys at some point during the year that was in the male quartet. And it wasn't a really it wasn't a real healthy team environment, if you understand what I mean there. So um, Deb is an accomplished pianist. She plays incredibly well. And um, when we came out of our first summer, she had traveled in a, in a different group. And they said, the, the people that organized the groups that traveled said, Deb, would you play for this male quartet? Because she was planning on going to Ohio State. She wasn't really interested, all that interested in having a relationship of any kind. She hadn't really dated anybody. And, um, and they said, would you do it? Because they thought she's safe. That will create a, you know, kind of, now that makes me sound like a predator, doesn't it? Um, I I, I wasn't. Um, And, and so there was this conversation and they said, Deb, would you play? And she said, I don't really think so. And they said, no, really, we need you to play for this male quartet. And she said, okay, until you find somebody else, I'll do it. Well, she became the accompanist for our group that that sang together that year, that traveled uh, all over the Midwest. And out of that quartet, um, we began to spend time together, got to know each other, ultimately fell in love. 
and, um, and are here today because of that. That conversation between Cindy Willison and Deb Ellis at that point in time, it was a turning point in history for her, for me too, even though I didn't know anything about it. There are turning points that happen in our life, big ones that we readily identify, but also tiny ones that happen out of a conversation or a thought that in that moment, everything changes. That's kind of where we're going today in this series that starts today in the book of Joshua. Joshua is full of stories of turning points. We're going to look today at at turning point for Joshua, for the central character. But we're also going to look in the next several weeks at some other characters, at the nation of Israel. We're going to look at at a prostitute that, that we find in Joshua and some turning points that happen in her life. Those moments where you're headed one direction and all of a sudden you take a different direction and God jumps in and, and does some cool things. Um, the, uh, if you have your, um, well, just, just as a background, you can take your Bibles out if you want, but let me just kind of create some history and context. Um, Joshua is in the Old Testament. It's the uh, sixth book of the Bible. And if you go from Deuteronomy into Joshua, it feels kind of seamless. But here's the story in case uh, it's kind of gotten away from you. God creates heaven and earth. He creates mankind. Um, Adam and Eve sin and and, um, people begin to grow and populate the earth. And God chooses Abraham because of his faith and and creates a relationship with Abraham where he says, Abraham, you're my guy. Through you, all nations are going to be blessed. I'm going to make a promise to you that that you're going to have descendants that are as 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 um, as large as the stars in the sky, the sand on the sea. Every all of eternity is going to be blessed because of you. And Abraham's old he holds on to that promise, but he thinks, God, I don't, I don't know how this is going to happen because I'm old. Ultimately, Abraham and Sarah have a son. His name's Isaac. They have him in their very, very incredibly old age. Isaac ultimately grows up and God repeats the promise to, to Isaac. All nations are going to be blessed through you, through your seed. Isaac has a son. His name's Jacob. Jacob ultimately has 12 sons. Right. One of those 12 sons is named Joseph. Um, Joseph is Jacob's favorite. His mom is um, is uh, is just really special to to uh, Jacob. And um, ultimately, Joseph's brothers are are um, are jealous of Joseph. Joseph's the guy with the coat of many colors. Right. And um, and they decide that they're going to kill him. And before they kill him, they decide instead to sell him into slavery. Joseph goes off with, um, with a caravan and, and is sold into slavery, ultimately goes into Egypt. And Joseph, miles and miles from home, completely detached from all of his family, from everyone he knows, begins to serve in the home of a guy named Potiphar. And, and he becomes very successful in that. Ultimately, he gets framed by Potiphar's wife and gets thrown in prison. So now he's in a new country without any support, far, far from home, in prison. Crazy, crazy story. And out of prison, 
Um, God gives him the ability to interpret dreams. Pharaoh, uh, the king of Egypt, has a dream. They call Joseph in to interpret the dream. Joseph interprets the dream. And Pharaoh ultimately puts him in charge of all of Egypt. A famine comes. And because of Joseph's wisdom and God's hand on him, God uses Joseph to save Egypt, to preserve that nation. And ultimately, Jacob and his 11 sons that are back um, in, in Canaan come to Egypt, come to Egypt and bow down before Joseph. And Joseph reunites the family in an incredible way. God preserves them, brings them together. Those 66 people that come together in Egypt are there. And they begin to have babies and multiply. The, uh, Jacob's descendants begin to really start to grow in an incredible way. And over time, they just continue to populate Egypt. And the Egyptians don't like it. And they ultimately enslave all of Israel's descendants, Jacob's descendants. So, so they're there in Egypt for 400 years as slaves. God raises up Moses to lead them out. And, um, and the, the plagues come. You remember the story about the ten plagues that, uh, that, that come there. And um, in, the, in the midst of the plagues, the firstborn is, is, uh, is killed of everyone in Egypt. God spares the nation of Israel. And God uses Moses to lead them out in the exodus out, um, out of Egypt. They go and they're ready to go into the promised land, the land that God had promised Abraham to give him and his descendants. And they send out 12 spies into the land to look at the land. Any of you grow up in um, Sunday school learning a song about that? First service, I got blank stares. I'm seeing lots of blank stares, too. There's this song about the 12 spies. Um, some of you know it. Yeah, there we go. Shannon's, Shannon's got, this is how it goes. Twelve men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. What did they see when they spied on Canaan? Ten were bad and two were good. Some saw giants big and tall. Some saw grapes in clusters fall. Some saw God was over all. Ten were bad and two were good. And when you do it with kids, you go really fast. It's really fun. Give me some love for that, uh, please. Well, ten were bad, two were good. Joshua, the central character that we're going to talk about uh, over the next several weeks, Joshua was one of the two spies that said, yeah, it looks crazy. The inhabitants of this land that we're supposed to take over, they're giants. Some saw giants, big and tall. They're huge. But we serve a God who can come in and take care of everything, who can, who can win the victory in spite of what it looks like. The nation of Israel, though, said, ah, you two guys, you're crazy. The ten win. We're not doing it. We're not. We, uh, we're scared. And God ultimately said, okay, here's the deal. Because you listened to the ten and not the two. Because you trusted yourselves and your own might and not me. Because you believed that the obstacles were so big that I couldn't overcome them. You're going to be set out into the wilderness and you're going to be out there for 40 years until all of you who make this decision have died. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that went into the promised land from that generation that came out of Egypt. It's an incredible story. 
Joshua in the wilderness is Moses' right-hand man. He's the apprentice to Moses for 40 years. Can you imagine being number two for 40 years? He would have learned all kinds of lessons as he saw Moses lead this nation of somewhere between two and six million people every day out in the wilderness, walking around, depending upon God to provide for them in every way. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 34. This is right before Joshua. You've got an electronic device. That's cool. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9 says this. Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Joshua was full of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. That kind of sets the foundation. Um, uh, at the back of the auditorium and, and back at the information set, there's, there's some questions that are there. A study guide that you can use this week. Brad Coco puts these together every week. They're great for a small group, great maybe for your family, great for you to just use as, as a, a tool to just study on a, on a regular basis. It'll help fill in some of the background of who Joshua was and what God, how God used him and, and pulled him out. Um, but you have this sense Joshua is the assistant, the apprentice for Moses. Moses has blessed him. And now turn to Joshua chapter 1. Let me read the first nine verses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and from and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to Abraham, to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Those words echo throughout Joshua chapter 1. Over and over it, it says again, and uh, what I want to do is just draw some applications from those nine verses that I think apply to us and that promise from God that he would be with us, but also that challenge to be strong and courageous no matter what your circumstances. Um, in verses three and four, God says to Joshua, I've given you everything that you need. 
That's the first principle that's there. And it's a principle that applies for us. We live in a culture where we think we've got to have more, right? I've got to have a bigger house, got to have a better car, got to have a newer car, got to have more stuff, got to have bigger stuff, got to have more, 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 more. God says to Joshua, I've given you everything that you're going to need in this land. If I were Joshua, I'd be, I'd be going crazy. I'd be pulling my hair out. Um, I, you know, I, I'd be going crazy thinking... How, how is this group of people going to take over this land? There are people who live here already. Where are we going to find the space that we need for food, for sanitation, for people to build their homes? How, how's that going to happen? And God says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and from this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, that's going to be your territory. There was enough space there for the nation to flourish, to fill that land. God had, God had described it as a land flowing with milk and honey. Everything that you need, I'm going to provide for you. Do you hear those words to you today? God says, everything you need, I'm going to provide for you. Second principle that's there is um, that you're going to be able to withstand any opposition that comes. Yeah, there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be struggles. Those things are going to happen. But anything that happens, you're going to be able to withstand. Verse 5 says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. This land that God had promised, it was full of people. It was full of big people. It was full of powerful people, trained armies. And God says, you know what? Yes, they're there, but they're not going to be able to stand against you. I'm going to provide for you the power that you need to take the land. Because he says, next principle, I will be with you. Into verse 5, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Have you ever... Have you ever been at a time in your life where you felt all alone? All alone. Like you were abandoned by family, abandoned by your friends, abandoned by God. That you were isolated in there. We had a conversation a couple weeks ago in New York City looking at all the people and saying, you know, in the midst of 8 million people, 20 million people that are there, It's possible to be completely alone. You may be there right now. Hear the words of God. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. So be strong and courageous. You know, when I I first began to think about this message, I thought, oh, it would be so great to, you know, to just figure out some way to, to... to just dump those words into our hearts. Be strong and courageous. Have this side. Be strong and courageous. This guy. Be strong and courageous. Back and it kind of reminds me of, of, uh, of, of Stuart Smalley, right? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. They, you know, there's this sense that if we can just say it enough times, we can convince ourselves. That's not it. Because the strength and the courage that we have, 
comes from God. God says to Joshua, the book of the law won't depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. When God's word begins to fill our heads and our hearts, when God's word comes in and fills our heads and our hearts, all of a sudden our perspective changes, right? The courage and the strength comes from Christ in us, from his word in us. Again, I don't know about you, but my days are markedly different when I have God's word coming into my head and the heart very first thing. Um, I, I play racquetball 530 in the morning. And and so I hop in the car usually about five after five. And I take my my uh, phone and hook it into the car system. And I'll typically listen to scripture on the way to go play racquetball. Um, you know, I'm not really awake all that much at five o'clock in the morning. But when I don't do that, my day goes remarkably different than when I do do it. Because God's word becomes a filter to to look at all of the events of the day. God's word changes the way that we think. And God says, be strong and courageous. Don't let my words drift from your attention. And finally, he says, don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed because I'm with you. Um, you know, where does, where does our fear come from? No matter what's going on in your life, where does, that, where does our fear come from? Most of the time it comes because we put our attention on the things around us rather than on God, right? It, it, it sounds very, uh, it, it takes us to the story of Peter with Jesus. Peter's in the boat with the, with the apostles. The storm's going on. It's going crazy. Jesus comes, walks on the water. And Peter says, if that's you, Jesus, tell me to come. And Jesus says, come, baby, come. Peter steps out of the boat, walks on the water as long as he's looking at Jesus. And as soon as he takes his eyes off Jesus, as soon as he looks at the wind and the waves, he begins to sink. Our fear comes when we put our attention on the stuff around us and not on the God who can provide for us. And sustain us each moment of the day. Um, It's interesting to me, if you jump down to the end of the chapter, that the call that God gives Joshua directly is echoed almost word for word by the nation of Israel. Joshua hears the same confirmation from the nation that he's heard from God. Uh, Verse 16 says, they answered Joshua, all that you've commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Did you hear that? Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Does that strike anyone as interesting? If you know the Old Testament, you know that the nation of Israel fought Moses tooth and nail everywhere. But I think that there's probably an element of truth to this because recognize that the people who are saying this is a new generation. It's not the generation that came out of Egypt and complained and said, take us back to Egypt. They had all died. This was a new generation that had seen God provide for them every day manna from heaven to eat. 
They had seen God direct them on a daily basis. And they said, we are going to listen to you. We're going to follow you. We're going to obey you just like we did Moses. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment, whoever disobeys your words, whatever you command him uh, shall be put to death. And then the nation of Israel says, only be strong and courageous. The same words that God had said to Joshua. It's, it's funny to me because this is not the first time Joshua had heard those words. Go back to Deuteronomy 31, just back a few pages. Deuteronomy 31, starting in verse 1. Um, Moses is speaking. Moses is still alive at the end of Deuteronomy. It says, so Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. He said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you're not going to go over into Jordan. You're not going to pass the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Verse six, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous. For you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. It seems to me that either one of two things is true. Either Joshua is really scared and insecure because God says to him over and over again, Through Moses, God says to him directly, God says to him, through the nation of Israel, be strong and courageous. He's either really scared and insecure, or the task is incredibly daunting for Joshua to lead this nation. I'm guessing, just guessing, that for many of us here today, there is a task that is incredibly daunting to us. We're in a place that we think, God, I don't know how I can do this. I don't know what I can do. And yet God calls us to be strong and courageous. What is it that you need to be strong and courageous about today? I I think, I think it's probably a mission from God. That mission from God may be to be a husband and a wife or a wife a father or a mother, a son or a daughter, sister or a brother. That mission from God may be to be an advocate for injustice. Maybe God's calling you to be involved in in stopping human trafficking, to helping the poor, to coming alongside the oppressed. Be strong and courageous. It may be that the mission from God is for you to be a light in a dark place in your work environment. A place that's full of evil. And God has called you to shine the light brightly. 
It may be that your mission from God is to take care of the widow that lives next door or down the street. It may be like Wilbur to come alongside a kid in your neighborhood or somebody here at church whose parents have split and are in desperate need of a surrogate mom or dad. It may be that the mission from God that you have is to simply stand for truth in the culture that we live in. Be strong and courageous. Understand this. God doesn't call us to be strong and courageous on our own power. He calls us to have this relationship with Him. And out of that relationship, out of that being, out of that that oneness that we have with Him, the action just spills out into the rest of our lives. That need for courage and strength comes as a result of that. It may be that the mission that you have, the place that you need this, that message to be strong and courageous, is it's a place that you already are now. Some of us here today are in diff, difficult places. Um, some are persecuted. Some are environments where people are are putting pressure on you all the time to walk away from Jesus. Some of you are in difficult situations that are caused by the sin of other people. Other people have sinned, and, and, you, and you're on the receiving end of the carnage. God says, be strong and courageous. So, some of us are just in hard chapters in life. It's one of those seasons that's difficult. Be strong and courageous. Some of you are experiencing pain. Your body's breaking down. You've got illness. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous in the midst of discouragement, of fear, of failure, of pain. Be strong and courageous when you don't have direction, when there's injustice. You know, that's a call for all of us, but it helps us to see Jesus in light of this passage from Joshua. As I was studying, I was thinking about Jesus and, the, and those last few days for him. I wonder, I wonder if as he prayed in the garden, as he prayed, God, I don't want to go through this. If there's any way you can take this away from me that I don't have to experience this, please do. I wonder if he heard the words of God to Joshua saying, be strong and courageous. I will not leave you or forsake you. I wonder when one of his closest friends betrayed him and brought the guards. I wonder if Jesus heard in his head, heard in his heart, be strong and courageous. When Jesus was being whipped and beaten, when Jesus was ultimately nailed to the cross, as Jesus labored for each breath as he was suspended in space, if he didn't hear the words, be strong and courageous. We're going to finish just now and we're going to sing a song in a second. And I, I just want to offer an invitation this morning. Uh, you know, as you speak, you can kind of see sometimes stuff that's going on in people's heads. I, I don't know where you are, but I think that this message is timely. And I, would, I just want to invite you as we sing to come down front and to pray for strength and courage to just kneel down here 
And you know what your circumstances are. You know what's going on. And just ask God to give you that strength and courage to make those promises real. We're going to sing and just spend some time praying that we can be that people, that we can have that strength and courage. And after that, uh, I'm going to come back up and and we'll share with some more in the service. Let's stand together. Let's sing. Sing it out. Oh, come, come to the 